Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ce qui se passe dans les bois est un véritable podcast sur la criminalité. Nous discutons d'événements qui sont souvent de nature violente. La discrétion de l'auditeur est conseillée. What Happens in the Woods is a true crime podcast. We discuss events that are often violent in nature. Listener's discretion is advised. Well, hello, and welcome back to the campfire, friends. It's been a while. It's been a minute. We hope that everybody's okay. And now that, you know, we're into the full swing of the year, hopefully everything is going well. Hi, Bryce. Hello. What's up with you? Uh, I'm back to work. Ew. I know. Like 12 <laughs> days off. Yeah, Bryce always takes the first like week of the year as vacation. Yeah. So it's our anniversary and it's after the holidays. And yeah, I don't ever get the week off, but he does. <laughs> yeah. 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 Never, never have. No. Not since I started working. I'm sorry that you had to go back to work. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife would just win the lottery and be uh, all right. Yeah, well, I try. Yeah, but I like to start the year off relaxed. Yes, yes. And then it's celebrate nice. celebrate our 24th anniversary. This year was our 24th anniversary. Yes, yes. 24 yes. years. Yes, you guys. 24 whole, whole last years. Yes. Hey, I haven't introduced you yet, Mara. <laughs> Keep sorry, your comments to yourself. You're I'll getting ahead. back uh, in the closet. Yeah, getting ahead of things here. Back with us this week is Mara, and no, she she doesn't have a story this time. She didn't have a case for us, although that was quite the role yeah. of a roller coaster that we were on last episode. Um, but yes, welcome back. Thanks. Is that yeah. our first cannibal? Um, on, mm, good question. I don't know, because we've discussed it on WTFs. Oh, yeah. But I don't know that we've had a season... Episode. Um, hmm. You're welcome. Yeah, first (laughs) time for everything. Thanks, thanks for that. They let me back, guys. (laughs) Yes, we did. Although I see your friend is not with you. No, no, he had to work. No, because you know people have to work sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Your your friend who giggled the entire time. <laughs> I don't know if that was nervous giggles or if he was just like, "This is just so fucking crazy. I have to laugh." Yeah, giggles I or I mean, he had heard a lot of it. Yeah, because I didn't know that he was going to be on the episode with us, and I was like bouncing ideas off him when I was writing the case. Yeah, I don't I don't know how you don't do that because it was hard for me. <laughs> um. Yeah. I I don't. I really don't have anybody to bounce them off with most of the time. So. I, I internalize it. <laughs> I, I had a lot of trouble like with wording or what I wanted to include. and Yeah, sometimes that's hard. Yeah. Because I've done it a couple of times where I've pretty much been done with research and like writing everything and then I scrap it. And I'm like, that doesn't, it just doesn't sound good. Like yeah. it doesn't sound right and I want to do it justice or it doesn't, 
Yeah. So then I end up rewriting or like heavily editing or just not doing the case at all. I've done that a couple of times too, where I've literally sat and started writing. And then all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, I don't think I should cover this one. <laughs> and this, this and then I move the on. One. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, yeah. Because then sometimes I think there's going to be enough information to do a whole episode and there's not. Yeah. I was surprised that that one was as short as it was. Mm, I mean, it wasn't that short. It wasn't like it was super short. No, it's just, I was surprised. I thought it would take up more time. Because mm. I think I wrote like seven pages or something like that. Mm. That is a lot. But yes, not everything makes it to the to it's, the final edit. It's a process. Yeah, it is a process. But, you know, you did great. You did great, kid. Thanks. You're welcome. So what are the updates this week? Uh, Lisa Marie passed away. I know. That was really sad. Yeah. And I I don't know. I, I, I You know, people live hard lives that we know nothing about just because they're public figures but i know she she had some issues mara's like what i don't know who that is to be honest elvis presley's daughter oh okay yeah and she, for a while she, uh she was married to michael jackson yeah um, in the 90s yeah like mid to late 90s she was married to him that was interesting i don't know i mean that where there again i'd I'm not my business, but um, I don't know. I just I, you wouldn't you wouldn't think they would be a couple, but I I don't know. You know, yeah, she was only fifty four. Oh, yeah. And I think they confirmed she had heart attack. Yeah, cardiac arrest. Yeah, cardiac arrest. Hmm. So I'd seen it. I just didn't know who that was. And uh, California's floating away. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, all that prophecy of it, you know, dipping into the ocean, the Pacific Ocean is coming true, I guess. Bye, guys. Yeah. Been nice. Been nice. But they all knew it was going to come back. Rain wasn't going to, the water wasn't going to stay away forever. No, it, I mean, it comes in cycles. Yeah. It, it does. But everyone's like. <gasps> well, because they're not prepared for it after being in a drought for so long. They're not prepared for. No. Having that amount of water yeah back, i was you know seeing a lot of pictures and stuff of sacramento yeah well apparently there's Wrecked. one going around that is really old i didn't know about it i showed it to your dad and he was like yeah that's old i was like i how was i supposed to know? i don't know <laughs> fake news yeah it was and i but the thing is because we lived in sacramento i recognized that that on-ramp onto I-5 yeah. near downtown, I recognized that. I was like, oh, shit, I'm not, that's crazy. But I do remember it flooding quite a bit when yeah. we lived there. It would flood every once in a while, and they would, you know, you would just not take it because it would be flooded. So, Yeah, I think that clip's about two years old. Oh. Yeah. No, I mean, that area always flooded because it's like... Right by the where the river is, and that's literally downtown. If anybody knows the history, like downtown would flood when they first like settled in Sacramento. That would flood, and so all of the basements in those old buildings down in like Old Town Sac and downtown, those are actually used to be first floor yeah. of the buildings, and now they're basements because they literally just had to build up the roads more because it was flooding so much. And it still floods. Like, yeah. It still floods heavily over there because of the river. So, I don't know. It's kind of stupid. I have all those, like, nice, new, beautiful homes that are built over there. And the, like, the flooding that happens in those areas is just, I don't know why anybody would ever build a home over there. It's kind of silly. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's a shame. But yeah, there's a lot, like in the valley, lots of flooding. It's crazy. Yeah. Merced was floating away. Trade in your cars for... Boats. For boats. 
Or send some of it to Vegas. Vegas still needs water, don't they? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I got. That's all you got? Okay. All right. So I do have a trigger warning for this. So please do not listen if uh, child sexual assault is a trigger for you. I'm not going to go into graphic detail, but, you know, the unfortunate fact is that these these crimes are against minors. And no matter how little or, you know, as much description as I can give and, and still not have it be graphic, we all know it happens. And we know, you know, people like this are disgusting. We know what they do. So I'm going to start off the episode with events that took place on May 16th, 2005, outside of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, at the Groney family home. And a neighbor had come by the home to drop off money he owed to the 13-year-old Slade Groney for mowing his lawn the previous day. The neighbor was unable to get anyone to come to the door. However, it looked as if the family should be home. Cars were there. It just it looked like they were home, you know, any other day. But nobody was coming out. Nobody was answering the door. So after spending a good amount of time trying to see if anyone was home, he went back to his house and made a call to the local sheriff for a welfare check on the family. And the same neighbor had also called the sheriff less than 24 hours prior to report a strange vehicle parked near his barn um, that seemingly had been abandoned. Unfortunately, when the sheriff arrived, they found a horrible crime had taken place there. Inside the home were the bodies of two adults, one male, one female, and um, then there was also one male juvenile. They were bound by their hands with zip ties and duct tape, and they had all been brutally beaten on their heads and faces, or possibly shot. There was blood pooled and splattered all around the bodies and all over the home in different rooms where the bodies were found. The adult female and juvenile male were found in the kitchen, and the adult male was in the living room. And it took several hours to confirm how the victims had been murdered. Um, crime lab investigators weren't able to get to the scene until the next day. So the sheriff kind of marked off everything, you know, left everything as they found it, and then exited until they could actually get somebody out there who could investigate with the crime lab and take the bodies in. So the scene was so bloody that the county sheriff deputies could not rule out gunshot or um, blunt force trauma until there was a deep analysis of the scene and the victim's autopsies were completed. So it was eventually confirmed by investigators that the bodies were that of some family members that lived in the house. So Brenda Groney, age 40, and her son Slade, age 13, were the two victims found in the kitchen. And the male found in the living room was Brenda's boyfriend or possibly fiance. I, I read a few different accounts that one said boyfriend, one said fiance, and then it would say boyfriend again. So regardless, that was 37-year-old Mark McKenzie. So that left two other members of the family that were known to have lived there, an eight and nine-year-old siblings, um, Shasta and Dylan Groney. They were unaccounted for. There was no... No evidence that they were in the home. There was no evidence that they had been injured. There was no evidence that they were taken. They just were gone. After the sheriffs found no sign of the siblings in or around the home during the investigation, Amber Alerts were sent out to the community and searches were organized for Shasta and Dylan. And the community was completely shocked after the discovery of the victims. There was numerous tips that were called in to help aid authorities and trying to figure out, you know, who had done this, where the kids might be. And the FBI was called in, and there was a $100,000 reward that was offered for information, you know, leading information to the crime, but also the safe return of the children or information about the children. The completed autopsies confirmed that it was blunt force trauma to the head that was the cause of death for all three victims. They had multiple skull fractures, contusions, and injuries consistent with that of a claw-ended hammer. Did they find the hammer? No. Did not find the hammer. Brenda and Mark also had trace uh, signs of marijuana and methamphetamines in their system. However, they don't think that that was how they died. It didn't play a a part in how they died in any way. 
They both had previously had run-ins with the law due to substance abuse. So there was a thought, you know, initially that possibly their murders were related to drugs. Mm-hmm. There were no signs of drugs in the home, though, and nor was there any, like, paraphernalia, anything like that. Oh, really? The, the house was clean. That's weird. Yeah. There really wasn't anything else to suggest what had happened and why. And investigators were grasping at any lead or suggestion that they could follow. So there was one tip that came in that there was a possible suspect that was interviewed days after. It took a little while to find this guy. He was a family friend who reportedly owed Mark and Brenda a small amount of money. It was reported like between $500 and $1,000 maybe. So not a whole lot. That's probably a lot to them. I mean, it was a lot. I mean, that that is a lot of money. Um, And it kind of sounded like the family was, you know, they were doing okay, but they weren't. Well to do. Yeah. They were They were hardworking people. So they found this guy and he was interviewed. Um, He, you know, was detained and interviewed. It was determined he had no part in the crime. There was a family member of Brenda's that stated the there was no bad will between the victims and this this friend. Like, mm-hmm. he, you know, they were on friendly terms with him, even though he still owed them money. They could have used the money, yeah. but they weren't, you know, mad at him because he hadn't paid them yeah. back yet. So that really just kind of fizzled out. There really wasn't anything to it. Authorities also turned their attention to the missing sibling's father. So Stephen Groney. Brenda and Stephen were divorced, but there didn't seem to be any issues there. There there really was no motive for why he would have done this. Yeah. He was very distraught, upset by the news of learning that, you know, not only Brenda and Slade were murdered, but also that the the two kids were taken. He was just very, very upset and, you know, fully cooperative, wanted, you know, was asking for whoever took the kids to just leave them someplace safe. We'll find them. Just, you know, please let me have my kids back. Yeah. So investigators, you know, really moved on quickly from a theory that he was involved in anyway. And then one lead came in from the thousands that were reported in, you know, not even just in that area, but outside states were calling in tips too. There was an owner from a sporting goods store that reported seeing a white male with two children that fit Shasta and Dylan's description in Bonner's Ferry. Where is that? Idaho. Oh, okay. Um, it's about 70 miles, I think, north of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Okay. So all of this is kind of on the border, too, of Washington yeah. and, uh, you know. The three were apparently driving in a white van that had Washington license plates. And they came into the store. The white man asked for directions to drive to Libby, Montana. Authorities from the neighboring counties then all took to the roads once this tip came up in, and they were looking for the van, for the people, and there was no sign of this van or the three people that had been in it. They just seemingly disappeared. It would be weeks later that the man and the young girl would be identified at a 24-hour Coeur d'Alene Denny's. By that time, news of the murders and the search for the two missing children was all over the place across the nation because FBI had been involved. Yeah. So several customers and employees recognized the little girl as Shasta. And the employees at the Denny's called in a report to the police. And then they tried to strategically place themselves around the restaurant so that if he tried to leave, they, they would stop. Yeah. They would try to stop him from leaving with her. At, at least if he went, got away, they would try to keep her yeah and the man you know kind of noticed what was going on it it didn't take long he tried to get the little girl in the bathroom they stayed there for an extended period of time and then after a while they returned to their table and when they did they were then surrounded by police where the young girl was asked to identify herself and after a short little glance at the man she had been with she looked back at the officer and she said her name was shasta good for her yeah <laughs> On July 2nd, 2005, after seven weeks of searching and investigating, Shasta was found seemingly safe and sound. But where was Dylan? Yeah, I was going to say, where's where's her brother? Yeah. The man with her was immediately taken into custody. His identity was discovered to be that of a convicted child molester and rapist, uh, Joseph Edward Duncan III. Duncan was wanted for jumping bail on charges of molestation and attempted molestation in Fargo, North Dakota. After it was discovered he left town while on bail, car theft of the rental he never returned were added to his warrant as well. 
and that was all in North Dakota. He was held on kidnapping charges when he was found with Shasta, as well as the federal warrant, and then Shasta was taken to a nearby medical center for treatment. Unfortunately, Shasta was the best resource they had to try to and connect the dots of this crime. Mm-hmm. And the things that she had observed and were subject to are numerous, and I really won't touch on on much of them. Um, Duncan shared many details of things with her over the seven weeks that she was with him. Details including the murder of her mom, her mom's boyfriend, and her brother. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There were details of other crimes that Duncan confessed to her that I'll kind of circle back to. Seems that she was able to endear herself to Duncan, which possibly led him to taking her into public after so long. Yeah. He had asked her if she wanted to go with him so she could meet his mother. What? Yeah. And she she had said, yes, I'd like to go do that. And he said, okay, let's go, you know, let's go get a, a milkshake and we'll drive on the way, you know, we'll get there. We'll get a milkshake and then go then hit there. the road. Yeah. That's such this a This girl long is time. just in survival mode. She really yeah, was. That's such a long time to be with somebody, seven weeks. Yes. And hearing all that type of stuff and and witnessing it and being um subject to the abuse as well. And yeah, and then just like Yeah. Play like playing like you're you're cool with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's um Well that's what I mean. Like she's in total survival mode. Yes. She's gonna do what she needs to do to stay alive, even though it's like against her moral compass or even, you know, it feels wrong to her, but her well, brain is just trying to survive. So. Yeah, that's so Man. sad because she's like eight, nine. She's eight. She's yeah. eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, th- there's a, a interview, news interview that she did not too long ago. She is obviously an adult now um, with a local Idaho news outlet. Mm-hmm. And it's on YouTube. You can watch it. And to hear her talk about some of the stuff, um, then to further read about some of the things that, you know, are known to have happened. Um, I I don't know how at eight years old she was able to do what she did. It's it's very um I don't I don't know as an adult that I could do what she did. To, to to endear her, you know, to to talk to him and to get him to a place where he, not only did he share these thoughts, but he also somewhat Basically, trusted her. Yeah. And he, I think he kind of knew at the end of, of this, where they were at the Denny's, that it, it was done. You know, he, I think he went into public on purpose to... Mm-hmm. To let her go. Hmm. I don't know. That's it's it's a weird thought. I really can't explain it, but that's kind of what I get. It's maybe. Yeah. So after taking the two children out of their home, Duncan drove a long distance out into the wilderness, um, spending time at two different campsites, like makeshift campsites, over the few weeks. He repeatedly abused the children sexually and physically, um, tortured Dylan, and it seems that Dylan was on more of the receiving end of the abuse than than Shasta was, although I I don't think either way it makes a difference. It just seems like physically he maybe took more of the abuse. Yeah. Duncan also had a video recorder that he used to document all of this abuse, as well as a camera. Ew. Yeah. He had it with him in his mm-hmm. truck? or just, okay. He had it with him in the van, and then I think from the van he switched to the rental car that he had he was, he, yeah. he had stolen. From North Dakota. Um, it was a Grand Cheap Cherokee yeah. that he had stolen. Yeah, he had, he had switched from the van that had the Washington plates to this Grand Cheap Cherokee, but he had that with him. He actually had it when he broke into the house. Oh. Yeah. It was revealed that what everyone feared when Shasta and Duncan showed up at that Denny's without Dylan was indeed true. Dylan had been killed, shot by Duncan just days before. Mm. Reportedly, it was by accident that he had been shot in the stomach with a shotgun. And because Duncan knew that he could not risk taking the boy in for medical treatment, he shot him once more, this time purposefully, 
in the head and he was killed instantly. His remains were then cut up and burned. They were later found in the Lolo National Forest in Montana on July 4th, so two days later, at the last makeshift campsite that they had stayed at. And kind of as a side note, there was a memorial held for Dylan on what would have been his 10th birthday just like two weeks later on July 16th, 2005. And that's what should happen to this guy. Mm, Well, stay tuned. So Shasta was reunited with her only surviving immediate family, which was her father and her older adult brother. That's good. Yeah. Um, Obviously, her story does not end here, but over the years, she's tried to move past and live her life the best that she can. She started a family. Um, You know, Um, she... I knew that wasn't going to happen because she's like the only witness to a lot of all this stuff that he's done. Yeah. So she's... I mean, she may be safe, but now she has to relive it in court and... Um, actually, they worked out that she would not have to testify. Oh. So, I'll, yeah, I'll get to that. Um, I mean, she oh. obviously is just I mean, I a badass survivor. The, if the video camera and the camera. And yeah. I mean, there was, there was well enough to. A lot of evidence. Yeah. And, and it was. That's partially not necessary. Good, yeah. I mean, yeah. She, she definitely is a survivor. And I think it's really hard i'm sure she has since lost her dad he was a survivor of throat cancer and so he passed away while she was still trying to deal with this too she's she herself has had run-ins with the law because she's had you know mental health issues that she's tried to self-medicate and wound her up in trouble so there's definitely a lot of of ptsd triggering you know, a lot to deal with yes. when when something like this happens. And one of her interviews, she said that she really wanted to turn, she didn't want him to define what she made of her life. And she really wanted to turn around and help other people who have survived, you know, abuse or sexual abuse, assault. Yeah. She really wanted to to make something so that she could help identify with them to help them work through their trauma. Yeah, And I really commend you know, somebody who takes their own trauma and tries to turn it into of course. A, a, a help, yeah, a, a help positive, for other people. So relining into yeah. all this the shit that's happened to them. Yeah, yeah, it's unreal. So after this break, we will get back into some of the history of this man responsible for these crimes and some of his other crimes that have affected many families and lives across the western part of the U.S., Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are taking a dive into crimes committed by Joseph Edward Duncan III, the man responsible for all of these horrible crimes that I mentioned before the break. Duncan was a convicted child abductor and molester prior to this time of becoming a serial killer. So Joseph Edward Duncan III was born February 25th, 1963 to Joseph Edward Duncan Jr. and his wife Lillian May Duncan. He was the fourth out of fifth children. He had three sisters and one brother. His family moved every few years due to his father being in the military from the late 1950s until the family eventually moved to Tacoma, Washington when he was 10 years old in 1973. He was described as a boy with few friends, and I heard an account that his mother gave that apparently he regressed after his younger brother was born. She said that he was a bedwetter until the age of 13 and frequently wore dirty underwear and was unclean. It was mentioned also that in a few pieces of research I did that one of his older sisters molested him at the age of eight. However, I, I just don't see it's mentioned, but there's no, you know, link of proof. Like he didn't give that information or there was an account by therapist that this was reported or, you know what I mean? It's just like, and apparently he was molested. I, I can't confirm it. If he was, then that might be what started this for him. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, very well, that doesn't, that type of thing does not have to happen to somebody for them to become themselves a child molester or abuser. No. His crimes began not long into his teenage years. So at the age of 15, he was charged with the rape of a nine-year-old boy and then later stealing a car. After that, he was sent to a boy's ranch or a detention center, as they should be called, outside of Tacoma in lieu of going to Juvenile Hall. While there, he admitted to other assaults he had committed against young boys. Seemingly, he admitted to 13 rapes. Jesus. Before he was the age of 16. What? I was going to say that he was just 15. Oh, my God. Yeah. The first of which being a five-year-old boy when he was just the age of 12. And no fucking alarms went off and, and right. any anybody been like, hey, this dude has a serious fucking problem. Apparently not. Jesus. Yeah. While undergoing treatment at the detention center, he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, which, you know, basically we call that a so like a psychopath, basically. Yeah. I mean, there's um there's really no treatment for that that's that's cure. It's not curable. Let's yeah. put it that way. There's treatment. However, there is not at one point where you are going to say this person no longer suffers from this disorder. Yeah. If I understand that correct, and I'm not a medical professional, but that is my understanding of the diagnosis. Okay. So he tended to blame his parents for his actions. He said, like, he he never had their attention. Um, he had s said that his mother was domineering and that he suffered physical abuse. However, that is contradicted by his younger brother. He says that that never happened. It, it really... Sounded like, especially after his parents divorced in 1979, it was just, it was never his fault. It was never him. It was, you know, everybody else's fault. Oh, yeah. He was released after serving, a, you know, it was about a year of time there. Even though the diagnosis would have been like intensive treatment with little to no hope of curing it, they still just released him. He ended up dropping out of high school as a sophomore. And in 1980, after breaking into a neighbor's home and stealing guns and about a thousand rounds of ammunition, Duncan then kidnapped a 14-year-old boy that he saw on the street and raped him again gunpoint in a wooded area. At age 17, he was tried as an adult for the assault and sentenced to 20 years in prison, which in 1980, that's a pretty significant yeah, conviction and sentence. I'm not going to lie. That is probably one of the better sentences that I've heard of mm -hmm. in cases like this. And I don't know if that's because he already had so much previous, you know, history. But it also involves stealing guns. and uh, Stealing guns and ammunition. And because you know, that's yeah. worse than raping a child. Oh, it is. Well. Uh, I mean, I, in to, every, to the laws yeah. that are made. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes. He was sent to Western State Hospital for treatment in their program for sex abusers, which arguably was not successful in any way in helping him. Um, this is before they set up McNeil Island as the uh, where the sex offenders go yeah. and stay. So Western State Hospital was in charge of that treatment. During his stay there, he was able to sneak out from the hospital frequently. Jesus. He was caught several times spying on people through windows, exposing himself to people. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was at one point, he and he very well could have committed other crimes during this time. Yeah, no shit. You had this dangerous predator and you're like, <laughs> yeah, he, he gets out sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, that's what it sounded like. Um, his mom was allowed to come and stay with him overnight there. What? I mean, I get it. I don't get how you're allowed visitors that stay overnight. What? That's fucking ridiculous yeah, to me. Wasn't he, was he still a child? No, he uh, was, mm, I mean, maybe, maybe he was 17 when he was sentenced well, and so charged. I mean, you know, he's still not 18 and as an adult. Sure. Maybe you have your parents stay the night. I don't know. He was tried as an adult. He was tried as I an mean, adult though. So. And, and uh, we've, I mean, we've had discussions about that too. I don't know that I agree with that. I do agree that his sentencing is more appropriate than a lot of, like I said, that's more No, but this heavy. was serious. Yeah. He yeah. stole, he broke into a house, stole guns, right. ammunition, 
found the kid and then immediately went yeah. and did this, this. crime that's and it's horrible a proven and it's, pattern right yeah, and it is a pattern so and, i mean i i do think that you're right i think the ammunition and the guns had something to do with the sentence but i don't know given his prior history that somebody like that obviously they he's in the right place should be in the right place to get help for his diagnosis <laughs> just like whatever but oh, he got out again well it's not Oopsies. successful obviously no it's you not know? and i don't think they're that uh, the system is taking it seriously yeah once he escaped at least twice they should have been like no you go to a, a maximum yeah. you're locked down yeah. i and i don't even know that he should have gone anywhere i think he should have been on a very i mean there's there's levels of the um, freedom that you get in places mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. You should have none. Yeah. You should have been After he was watched constantly. Out. I mean, just, the thing we just talked about, it's different because it's Canada. Right. And it was kind of this type of facility, but right. they wouldn't let that man walk outside of the facility. Like, right. Even, within Even just the facility, outside. but outside. Right. He had to have escorts for until it was reviewed. Right. Right. So this guy's, you know, basically it's like he's in a hotel where he's coming and going at his leisure. Who knows what the hell he did while he was out and supposedly under the watch of not only the prison system in in conjuncture with the hospital. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of blows my mind. But I don't know that as a child, I mean, at 17, hmm. That's arguable that you don't have enough reasoning to, and I I don't know that he had any mental, like processing delays or or anything like that. That's never mentioned. It's just that he doesn't I care. Just, I don't yeah. think he cares, and I I but think his still... diagnosis is why he doesn't care yeah. because it, he sub- solely survives for the need to do what he wants to do yes. to make him yeah. feel good. Yes, that's literally it. You're not going to ever rehabilitate a person such as that. Yeah when they they don't see what they're doing is wrong because their whole need and uh, their whole reason for surviving and and doing what they're doing is so that they get their gratification Mm -hmm. from what they do. So I don't, I don't know that sending him here under these circumstances at his age, I just don't know if it was all really taken that seriously. I don't think so. Yeah. You just explained to us that he got out at least a couple of times and been like, yeah, yeah, I mean, if, if several times, several times. So it's I, just dangerous. Oh, yeah, it's very dangerous. I, sorry. No, it's it's. In, I think it's uh, irresponsible, and and very dangerous. So after two years in his, you know, in this facility with no success in helping him make any kind of recovery, and obviously him, you know, coming and going as he pleased, Duncan then said. You know, I'm tired of this. Just take me to prison. And I'll continue to to serve the remainder of the 20-year sentence oh, out in prison. But, Duncan, did you not know there's a special place for child yeah. rapists in prison? Well, Even the prisoners don't like child abusers. Yeah, that's very true. That's, uh, yeah. That's not, that's not a vacation. That's not going to be helpful. You may get um, killed. Yeah, I'm just confused why he was like, oh, I, I can, like, go as I want here, but just take me to prison. I'm kind of tired of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm not really sure what led him to, to do that, but I, I mean, from what I read, it was his, you know, I, I no longer want to be here. Let me serve out my sentence in prison. Only he did not serve the entire 20 years oh, in prison. Jesus. Yeah. In 1994, he was paroled to a halfway house in Seattle, but he was released from there in 1996 and he soon had a parole violation for smoking marijuana. He earned himself 30 days in jail, and then he was released with new parole terms. And it is right after this that the disappearance and deaths of two young girls in Bothell, Washington, made the news. And this is one of the crimes that Duncan reportedly confessed to Shasta oh. while she was with him. God. Yeah. So nine-year-old uh, Carmen... Cubius and 11-year-old Sammy Joe White, they were sisters who were living in a motel that helped house um, homeless families. They were reported missing on July 6, 1996. And they so were last seen. People were actually doing some good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, they're, you know, people are trying to 
get by however they can. And these are also areas where predators go. You know, no, I'm just saying it's like they could have been like druggies or no, they're actually helping people. Yeah. <laughs> Jerk. So they were last seen when they went across the street from the motel to a fast food restaurant to get some food. They were maybe going to, um, you know, try to bump some money to get a pack of cigarettes for their brother. And the girls were like known to wander the streets. They were known by a lot of people there because um, mm-hmm. this hotel was, you know, it was set up to house homeless families. Yeah. And so there was a lot of families that looked out for one another. These girls were well-known, you know, in that little area. Their bodies would not be found until February of 1998, so two years later, by a transient in an abandoned barn. And the barn was nearby where Duncan had worked at the time. It was determined that both had died by blunt force trauma to the head. There was no way to tell at that point if they had been sexually assaulted or not. Yeah, they're too far gone. Yeah. So... After they were found, he fled to California with no one the wiser that he had committed this crime. Yeah. Okay. Another confession made by Duncan while in custody for Shasta's uh, kidnapping were the, um, the, is the killing of a young boy in Beaumont, California. So right after um, the two sisters were killed, 10-year-old Anthony Martinez his brother and a few of their friends were outside in a back alley behind their home. They were just playing, hanging out, doing whatever boys do. When Duncan approached and attempted to get the boys to help him look for his quote unquote lost cat. When that didn't work and none of the boys were interested in helping him look for the cat, he attempted to take Anthony's brother by force. Anthony then stepped in and tried to stop this, which resulted in Duncan taking Anthony under threat of knife with him into his car. So even though there were descriptions of Duncan and his car by the boys, and he, the composite sketch is pretty damn close, it was nearly a decade later that he confessed to the crime of assaulting and killing the young boy. They did not have any leads other than a partial print on duct tape that the boy had been bound with, that Anthony had, had been bound with. They never were able to match that to anybody. So Anthony Martinez's body was found on April 19th, buried in a shallow grave in a desert near Indio, California. And the boy had been brutally beaten. His skull had been crushed. And he, they were able to determine that he had been sexually assaulted. Mm. Yeah. And just four months later, Duncan was again arrested for parole violation. And this time he was sent to three years in, in pr- prison. He did serve all three years. And after his release, he put down roots in Fargo, North Dakota. The next five years he was there, he was not in trouble with the law. But if accounts are to be believed, there are many instances of similar crimes that fit his MO that are unsolved in that area. I read of at least five. And he didn't confess to? No, he didn't confess to any Mm -hmm. of those. No. Duncan was charged in March of 2005 with molesting a seven-year-old boy and attempting to molest the boy's friend at a school playground in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. Oh, jeez. Yeah. He was arrested, and his bail was set at $15,000. And, I mean, we all know psychopaths are able to calm people. They're able to get people to do things that normally you would be like, no, I'm not going to fucking do that. Yeah. He was able to get uh, this Fargo businessman to cover the cost of his bail. Yeah. It seems that the man and Duncan had been in a sexual relationship for about a year at this point. And with his bail covered, he was free to go about his business. And he wasn't going to stick around for the courts to, you know, sentence him again to serve more jail time. Because at this point, I think at this point in his life, he'd been out of jail as an adult for a total of like nine years. Oh. Yeah. And this is 2005. He was born in 63. So as an adult. He's been more time in, you know, his lifetime, basically, he's been more in jail than he has been out. So he makes plans. He rents a car, that uh, red Jeep Cherokee that is later found in connection with the kidnapping of Shasta and Dylan, whatever money he could, and he leaves the area. He bounces, thus, you know, breaking his bail. Yeah. The federal warrant for skipping bail and the car theft were added then to his list of crimes. 
Then we return to the Grony family murders. After spotting Shasta and her brother Dylan out in front of their home on the rural road where they lived, he set up surveillance of the family for a couple of days. He purchased gloves, night vision goggles, a shotgun and shells, a claw hammer, and a video camcorder from a local store. He made plans to take the two siblings with the sole purpose of abusing and torturing them. The whole reason he killed was to take these children. Hmm. Yeah. On July 13th, 2005, Joseph Edward Duncan III was in Idaho court where he was charged with three counts of first-degree murder Mm -hmm. and three counts of first-degree kidnapping. That was on, uh, that was for Brenda, Mark, and Slade. There were federal charges of transporting uh, the siblings across state lines for the purpose of sexual exploitation that were also pending. So the trial date for the Idaho charges, it got changed and pushed back several times until finally October 26th of 2006. A deal was offered and worked out so that Duncan would plead guilty to all of the charges. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, this deal also allowed that Shasta, like I said, would not have to testify at any of the hearings. Yeah. He was convicted and sentenced to three life sentences to be served consecutively without possibility of parole. However, then Duncan was indicted by a federal grand jury in Coeur d'Alene on the federal charges. Mm -hmm. So 10 counts of kidnapping, kidnapping resulting in death, aggravated sexual abuse of a minor, and sexual exploitation of a child resulting in death, illegal firearm possession, and grand theft auto. His trial for this, again, was delayed due to his defense not really knowing how to proceed for him Mm -hmm. and to defend him. Yeah. Sometimes there are indefensible things. Sometimes there are. So he actually, at one point, fired his attorneys Mm. and wanted to represent himself. Why do they always want to represent themselves? I don't know. I I don't know. Mind you, you can be a smart person and not have a formal education. I don't think in his case he was a very educated person, per se, you know, traditionally, he didn't graduate high school. He dropped out. Yeah. But I don't think that he was some high IQ genius yeah. either that was able to, you know, fancy his way around it's things. Just, I think he was just a compelling person. Yeah. It's giving who's, Ted Bundy vibes. Uh, slightly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that actual but resulted. Most serial killers are very charismatic. They are. They are. I mean, it, clearly he is. Right. No, he He's is manipulative. He is very manipulative because the the whole reason he was able to get into the halfway house in Seattle was because he got some member member of the parole board convinced that he was going to be that he you know he was so sorry about what he had done. He's on the mend, and that he was on the mend. Well, he only stayed there for two years. Yeah. He he wasn't he totally used that person. He also used the person who posted bail for him, and then he had no no intention of staying. None. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was immediately out. It, he just does give me the vibes that he would do anything to get whatever he wants. Yeah, 100%. So they they do review if he is competent enough to to be able to defend himself. Yeah. And it's ruled that he is. Yeah. Again, he enters a guilty plea for all the charges, though. And that was December 3rd of 2007. That's probably the smartest thing he's done. I I guess. Um, I read that the jury and others involved in the court hearings had to witness hours of video that Duncan had recorded, including recorded torture that Dylan Groney endured in the several weeks that he was held by Duncan. And it sounds horrific. I mean, it sounds, (laughs) it is horrific, but it sounds like something that would, if I had to watch or process it or or deal with it, I'd be in therapy. No, thank you. It no. I it sounds like something you should never have to hear. Yeah, just give me the the TLDR. Yeah, yeah. I'm not watching that. <laughs> it's I I don't know how these jurors were able to live their lives after hearing this and they dealing need with this. Therapists. I think and... that several of them did end up. Like the court is going to need to pay for my therapy. Thank you. Yes. A hundred percent. It's, 
it is, and from what I understand, um, Stephen, the father of Shasta and Dylan and Slade, was there for most of these proceedings as well. Oh my god! I this this family really, really. I just took up the cause and was like, no, we're going to see it through. We're going to see you held accountable for what you did in any way that we can. And just stoically tried to piece their lives back together after this. It's, it's just, yeah. The grand jury did sentence Duncan to death due to the federal charges. So during this time, Actually, the same day that he was federally indicted, it was announced that Duncan was charged with the murder of Anthony Martinez in California. He was confirmed as the only suspect after DNA was matched to him from that partial fingerprint on the duct tape. There were uh, there were several attempts to extradite him to California during this time. However, the federal proceeding was the focus. So they would not extradite him until the federal indictment was done and sentencing was done in Idaho. He was eventually extradited on January 24th in 2009, and he did plead guilty to that murder on March 15th, 2011. So he received another two life sentences for that. Unfortunately, charges for the two girls here up in Washington, the two sisters, um, Sammy Joe and Carmen, there were no charges against him for those murders. He did confess. However, apparently the statement that he made was not a full confession. He had details and he had knowledge of the crime. However, he never apparently came out and said, I did this oh. or I am responsible for their murders. I know where they were. You know, I dropped them, their bodies here in this place and I left their bodies there. I, He never apparently gave enough of a confession for it to be something that they could prosecute with. So they chose not to bring charges to him knowing that he had all of these other, you know, life sentences, death sentences so for other crimes. Mm. I... I don't yeah. agree with that. Yeah. But if you provide me details, you know what happened. I, I yeah. feel like that. Yes. I feel like if you have intimate details of, of what happened, then of you where a body's were there. Located, of everything that happened to it. Right. Just because you don't say please and thank you. <laughs> and it was discussed with Shasta. I mean, Shasta had knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it wouldn't, I just don't know that I wouldn't have still tried because, you know, this family that is grieving for these girls, yeah. they have what? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, he is sentenced to death. He, he does have life sentences, but that's not specifically. Not for their girls. For, for them. Yeah. yeah. Not for their children who were, you know, horrifically beaten and murdered and, uh, if he's responsible for it, they were sexually assaulted as well. Cause there's no way he's going to kill without doing that. Yeah. Not a child. He, the only people, you know, he didn't, he didn't assault the 13 year old brother Slade, but that was to get the eight and nine year old yeah. out of the house. That was the sole purpose of those murders. So that was his obstacle to overcome. That is the only time he is murdered without assault that we are aware of that charges have been made against him. So there, you can't tell me that he didn't do the same to those girls. Yeah, it's I. If I were that family, I would not feel that no. justice was served for those girls. No, Absolutely I think it would not. be very hard for me to be happy that we, you know, you're you're happy that he's caught. You're yeah. happy that he can no longer do this again. You know, you sympathize with the other families who have gone through you know, other similar situations with their loved ones that he has killed. Yeah. But that does not give you the closure for yeah. those two two girls. It's, I don't know. I don't agree with it. But I, there again, I'm not a prosecutor, so I don't know what information they saw that they just didn't think it would 
it result in anything sticking. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. On March 28th, 2021, Joseph Edward Duncan III died from stage four brain cancer at age 58 while incarcerated at the United States Penitentiary in Indiana. So he was awaiting his death sentence and he opted not to get any treatment for his cancer. And he was given six months and he died within that six months. That almost feels like his last fuck you. Mm-hmm. I, in a way. In a way. I, I think I think karma comes around and stage four brain cancer is pretty bad. So I think that was the universe's like, fuck you, dude. Like True. you're a horrible person and, yeah. and you can die a horrible way. However, yeah, I think you're right. There's also that other part of it where he was like, well, I'm going to die anyways. So like, I'll not, die on my terms. Yeah, exactly. Don't treat me medically. I mean, it could, it could just be, you know, people don't want treatment sometimes with cancer. Yeah. It's just, it's not worth it. Especially if I have six months to live, why am I going to? Right, right. But, and, and especially somebody who's, I mean, he's incarcerated in a, a, a federal penitentiary. It's not like he's just in prison. He's, he's in a pretty hard place. You said, what year did he die? 2021, just last year. But he Two was, years ago. So he was sentenced to death and he was waiting all that time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's That's a crazy. long process. It, it is. I mean, California, before they did away with actually putting people to death, it, you know, during they, you would sit there for decades yeah. and die of natural causes before you were put to death because there's just such a appeal process to it and a, a weight to it at this yeah. point that it very rarely does. It's... There are a lot of states where the process happens very quickly. Yeah. And there's a lot of states where people will just sit. This this one is hard for me because I don't often agree with the death penalty. I, I don't often agree with the death penalty either. However, I'm not against it. I just am. I, I think, you know, everybody does get their appeal process and I understand that. But I there are some people who should not walk this earth. And he is one of them. Yeah, I'm just, like I said, I don't often agree with it, but I, this is a person who is proven, who has a pattern, who literally never learned, Mm -mm. literally never, none of his treatment ever taught him anything. He Mm -mm. just did not care, was just going to do what he was going to do. Yeah. Did it maliciously. It wasn't like he just drugged them or you know put them to sleep it was like he bashed them over the head with a hammer that's or a blunt object whatever you know i i think that in this case i'm i I don't think it matters how he's gone he's gone and i i know that that you know a lot of the news reports after his death was reported the you know shastas or surviving victim and the families of the victims were just you know finally we're free of this yeah. We know that he's not sitting someplace, that yeah. he's not breathing, he's no longer here. We're we're free of, of him. Yeah. You but know, it, being here. It also with him dying though, and we've covered it repeatedly about how the families have to relive it because then all of a sudden now the news wants yeah. to interview them right. yeah. about how do you feel about that? Yeah. You know. This person about, dying. What do you want them to go say? Go away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Literally, how about you just take a guess and leave me alone? Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Make Write down whatever you want because <laughs> it's probably wrong. Right. Also, I think, you know, something we, we haven't talked about too much, but in, in his case, there are so many possibilities of crimes that he could have been connected to. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell me for five years he was on the straight and narrow because he, he wasn't. There's no way. Yeah. That those five years he was in North Dakota, he was just a law-abiding citizen. No. I don't buy it. There's that loss of potential for other people to get answers in how, you know, they have family members that are victims of his, possibly. They're not going to get answers now. Yeah. There, There's crimes that are still unsolved that may have been connected to him. They're never going to get answers now. It should have just been like, here, if you tell me everything, we'll take off one of your life sentences. <laughs> I mean, after you get the death sentence, I don't think it matters. Well, yeah, he had yeah. those three consecutive life sentences. Yeah. 
And there are people, you know, that you hear of criminals who who get a death sentence and they're like, well, it doesn't matter now. I, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Yeah. And, the, you know, they'll talk. And then there are other ones who are like, yeah, I'm never going to fucking talk to you at all. Yeah. You're going to put me to death. Fuck you. I'm not going to I'm not going to give you a word. Yeah. I'll go to my grave. You'll never know. It's like Israel Keys. Fucking I'm, I'm going to die before I'm going to tell you anything. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of surprised that he didn't confess anything i guess it would have to be someone that he really trusted or for a reason since he was confessing to shasta but i am kind of surprised that you know sitting there he didn't say anything i i do wonder at and you know i don't in order to not deep dive into what her experience was because it was it was pretty bad i i can only speculate at why he was confessing these things to her yeah and I do think that, you know, there is an aspect of mental illness where people can in a moment acknowledge that they're doing things wrong, that something is wrong with them and that they have remorse in that moment. It's not enough to have them be remorseful and relearn and to not do it again. It's just in the moment where they have that small you know, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this isn't what I wanted. And, you know, I'm, I don't mean to do these things. And they might have just that small moment where the weight of everything they're doing is on their conscience, you know? Yeah. And I think that might've been it. She endeared herself to him and then he was overcome. So he, he shared some things with her that he probably normally would never have shared to anybody but he also had never had this amount of time with any of his victims before and he never really had friends right like growing up didn't sound like it no maybe only sexual relationships since he said the person that bailed him out yeah like just relationships where he was using people so probably never really a relationship where no he felt like he could speak to somebody openly I don't know right and I mean, he went into the system very young, so who knows what any, you know, any relationships that he could have formed in the system with other inmates, with other criminals, those are not necessarily going to be healthy relationships. I just don't know if if that would, you know, the length of time that he was with her and Dylan just, even, even for somebody who had done things that he had done was just too much emotionally for him and he had a moment where he broke down i mean possibly because it, it sounds like he just would you know do his thing and then get rid of him yeah so yeah like you said the longest time he had with somebody right it was just oh crap like this is what i do right it was it was very interesting because yeah i don't know somebody you know somebody who's done what he's done to then like pour your heart out to an eight-year-old yeah. that you had victimized, that you have that you have abused and yeah. And killed their parents. And killed their and parents and yeah. Sibling. I mean, there's a lot of layers of mental illness there. Yeah. Lots. Too too much for me to unpack, but in one episode. <laughs> well, I I don't want this person in my mind for another episode. There's a book that I started to read. I couldn't read it. There's multiple like people investigations and um, like documentaries on it. I, I there's only one that I could listen to. I mean, I'll I'll list a few, but I couldn't deep dive into this one because there was just too much mention of the type of abuse and it was it was not okay. So I'm I'm happy to say goodbye to this jackass. So did the rest of the world. I yeah. I mean, I don't think I even his mom didn't really even seem to have a kind word after that. She was like, I don't know how he got released. How do you rehabilitate somebody with his problems? Like she she maybe loved him. I mean that's her child. I can't speak to that but she even she was acknowledging like how does somebody like this get out after 14 years not rehabilitated yeah you know you're you're letting them out because why 
good behavior. Yeah, there's no children in prison. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our episode this week. We're happy to be back with some regular episodes for you guys. So be on the lookout for those. And again, we want to thank everybody for listening. We hope everybody stays safe and be kind to one another. And as always, you guys, stay out of the damn woods. Down the woods. Thanks, Mara. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye.